0: Well, good morning, everyone. If you brought a Bible this morning, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. The uh, words will appear up here in the screen in a little bit. But why don't we uh, open in prayer before we get started. <clears throat> Lord, we know that you want to be glorified in all the earth. We know you want to be Glorified in this place, and you want to show yourself strong and merciful to your people. And so, Lord, have your way this morning, have your intention in our lives. Let us see you above all. Lord, shine through every word that is spoken, shine through your word. Lord, mix it with your power of illumination, and let us understand and see things that we've never seen before. Lord, open our hearts to everything that you have for us this morning, and may none leave having not received from you. And so, Lord, we're giving this to you. We believe that you're at work in the world. Have your way, we pray, and we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, my message this morning is uh, help for times of suffering. I want to start by just reminding you that we all suffer, every one of us, because we are fallen people. We're not perfect, we make mistakes, and oftentimes those mistakes lead to self-inflicted suffering. Job said in chapter 5, verse 7, For man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. We all suffer not only because we are fallen people, but also because we live in a fallen world. Even if we're making good decisions and things are going well on our part, we live in a world of fallen humanity. And so there are people around us making poor decisions. And because of a fallen world, there's also natural disasters, accidents, and things of that sort to bring suffering into our lives. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. We also suffer because as we obey him we'll experience negative con- negative consequences from those who don't. The Bible tells us that all the desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We also suffer because God uses suffering to direct and discipline his children. That this is one of those things that speak like a like a loudspeaker in our ears where Happiness uh, speaks softly, suffering speaks so much louder. And so I just want to remind you, in case you had forgotten, that we all suffer, every one of us. The bad news is this, that we always don't respond that well to suffering. And unfortunately, when we don't respond well, it often makes for greater suffering in our lives. I think of the Old Testament, one of the patriarchs, Jacob, who when things seemed to be falling apart in his life, Jacob said, everything is against me. Unlike Joseph, his son, when going through much the same struggles, commented, what you've meant for evil, God has meant for good. It was all perspective. Or, how about Job's family tragedy? Job losing everything he had, seemingly in moments, at least in one chapter of the Bible, the first chapter of Job. His wife reacts in this way Job, curse God and die. And Job reacts in this way Naked from the womb I came, naked to the grave I'll return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to respond well to suffering. Many, many years ago on a highway in the city that Sandy and I and our family lived in, along Highway 35 between River Falls, Wisconsin and Hudson, Wisconsin, in the dead of winter there was a tragic accident where Radio Road crossed 35. Everybody in our town knew about this accident because it was oh so tragic. And so this small family, a young family, uh, mom and dad and two young boys were traveling north on Highway 35. When a vehicle coming on the crossroads of Radio Road couldn't stop because of icy conditions slid out into the middle of the highway, and there was this accident that killed one of the boys instantly and put the rest of the three people in the family in the hospital for the parents for a couple weeks, and then um, the one boy for months. In fact, he had some severe brain damage, and because of his brain damage, one side of his body was paralyzed. Paralyzed. It took him many years to learn how to talk and how to walk and those sort of, you know, daily, daily things. But Bobby did learn how to walk, and he learned how to talk. And as soon as he did, he began to give praise to the Lord. First of all, for saving his life from the wrath of God to come. And then secondly, saving his physical life and saving his mom and dad's life. Bobby was a walking testimony of God's goodness and God's grace, although paralyzed on one side. The tragic part of this story is this, that Bobby's mom and dad walked away from the Lord. They knew the Lord well. They were part of our church at the time. But because of the tragedy of losing one of their kids and the other one severely handicapped, they walked away from the Lord. To my knowledge, Bobby is still serving the Lord with all of his heart today. But mom and dad are still away from the Lord. Guys, I don't know about you. Suffering has a way of working on our lives in different ways. Sometimes suffering drives us to those things which are are negative and wrong. And other times suffering drives us to the cross to draw close to Jesus And I want to make sure in my life, when I'm suffering, that's where I'm going. That I'm going back to the cross. I'm going back and embracing Jesus. I'm looking to him for help. And so if you're not suffering today, here's the good news. You will be someday. (laughs) Because we all suffer because of the world that we live in. But Jesus is there to help us. Jesus is there to walk with us through it. And he will bring us through on the other side. So this morning, in these next few moments, I just want to take a few things out of Romans chapter 8 and remind you how you can overcome suffering or at least suffer well. So sometimes when we look at the book of Romans, we look at it as a theological treatise, you know, that uh, we think about Calvinism and Arminianism and all these other things that Romans teaches us. But when Paul wrote it, he was writing it as a pastoral letter to one of his churches. And so in Romans chapter 8, he is encouraging the Romans in their suffering. So I just took there's many things there how Paul encourages the Romans, but I just took three things for us this morning, and I want to talk to you about those in the next few moments. Here's the first thing that I see in Romans 8:18. 8, it says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. First, realize that suffering is only temporary. It's only temporary. There are many times when I pray for individuals down here at the front of the church after our services, and many times people are suffering. And I always try to remind them that it won't always be like this. Because sometimes when we're suffering, it seems like it's always going to be that way. We're also, we're always going to suffer. But the fact of the matter is that it's simply not true. It's not true in this life, and it's certainly not true in the life to come. Paul says here in 8.18, he refers to this suffering as our present suffering, indicating the the temporariness of our suffering. This present suffering isn't to be compared to the glory to come. In another place, Peter says, for a little while you'll suffer. And uh, Paul says in Corinthians, he calls it a light and momentary suffering. So the first thing to remember is that this suffering is just temporary. The other thing to remember is this that the suffering is not only temporary, but it's light. Now, you might say, Greg, you don't know what's going on in my life. What I'm going through is not light. Well, some of the things that Paul went through weren't light either. I think of his words here found in 2 Corinthians where he says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift in the sea on frequent journeys of death. In on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from these things, there's a daily pressure on me of the anxiety for all the churches. Paul, how can you call it? light and momentary affliction. It seems like all of Paul's life was suffering. But the point that Paul is making here is that in comparison to glory, the suffering that we're going through now is very light. In comparison to the glory that we'll all experience in eternity, those that are following the Lord Jesus. Compared to that, the suffering that we're going through the day, today is really of no comparison at all. And you know what? That changes the way we see suffering. That changes it knowing although things aren't that great right now, it's going to be better right around the corner. It's kind of like this. Some people say, thank God it's Friday. Now they don't say thank God it's Friday on Friday evening they say, thank God it's Friday on Friday morning because they know that the weekend is just beyond. It's just, it's just coming up just one more day and the weekend is here. Or sometimes, I know when I was in college, my last semester was a terrible semester. I'd taken large amounts of credits all during my, my years. And so my last semester, I think I had seven credits to graduate and so it was just so hard to concentrate. I already had a position in a church. I just had seven credits. And one class uh, that I would put off, it was a freshman requirement I put off to my senior year, American literature. And so at 7.30 in the morning, I was sitting in American literature class. I think it was the, the lowest grade I ever got. I think it was a D or something like that I got in American literature. Some people call it senioritis. You know, that in your mind, you're already gone. I mean, you've already graduated. It's already all over. And whatever happens here is just not that essential and important anymore. So when we make our focus heaven, it changes everything. It changes everything. It's like this. I was noticing this picture as we were singing earlier today. I was noticing the fog and how gloomy and the, the uh, uh, moisture in the air and that sort of thing. It reminds me of uh, where my daughter Kate lives in Seattle. That oftentimes this is the picture when we visit her. Uh, fog and rain. And those of you that visit Seattle, you're like, amen. That's exactly the way it is. But the last time we were there, we were taken to the airport in the fog and rain and that sort of thing. And to be honest, I was just feeling a little down. But I knew once we broke through those clouds, it would be a sunshiny day. And so much like the kingdom to come, so much like eternity. That the things that separate us from eternity is just like a cloud. That just on the other side of that cloud, God has something great for us. And so going home to be with him is much like that. Or if we focus on our future, is much like that. That just on the other side of the clouds is this glory that Paul talks about in 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now this is a hard topic talking about glory. Talking about those infinite things with temporal words. But let me make an attempt to remind you of the things that await us just beyond the clouds. I've chosen four words to describe glory or eternity. The first one is that it's a place of restoration. It's where God restores us. It's like being born again, only better. Because when we're born again, the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to do a work in us. Old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. And I remember when that happened to me, it changed everything for me. I could see more clearly. I could understand more clearly. The, the grass seemed greener, the, the, the uh, uh, Skies seem bluer. And eternity is much in the same way. That everything will seem much more clear. will be restored. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that we shall know fully just as we are fully known. And that we will be like him. That there is a restoration that takes place. A fullness that takes place in our lives. The image of God that was marred at the fall in Genesis chapter 1 and following is restored. That we are once again restored to that perfect fellowship with the Lord. That our old nature is passing away and, and we are purified in Him. Not only is the image of God restored, but our body is restored. In eternity, our flesh is reunited with our spirit. Now understand that heaven, quote unquote, is just a temporary place. That Jesus is coming back with a new earth and a new Jerusalem and a new heaven. And it's there where God's people will live with him forever and ever. Heaven is just a transitory place, a temporary place where we will spend eternity is in a new heavens and a new earth. Our flesh will be reunited with our spirit and eternity will be restored to our lives. Now, I was glad to hear this because I don't get that much of a thrill out of being a disembodied spirit. But living in a new earth and a new heaven, now that's exciting to me forever and ever. So, number one, our future glory is like this it's a place where we're restored. Secondly, it's a place of rewards, where we will be rewarded. The Bible talks about crowns and treasures and position. Now, I'm not sure what all those are. I don't know if they're tangible or intangible. But I know this. I know that they're given on the basis of faithful service. They're not given for what we do and what we don't do in general. They're given, they're given specifically for our faithfulness in what we do and what we don't do. Some think that Billy Graham will have greater rewards than us simple people here. But it's not true because those rewards come according to our faithfulness. He gives them to us according to our faithfulness. And like I said, I have no idea what these rewards are. I don't even know if they're intangible or tangible rewards. But I think the greatest reward is this the greatest reward is seeing Jesus' face. That's the greatest reward. It makes me think of when Sandy and I, my wife and I, FaceTime each other. I was in the Dominican Republic, uh, not this past week, but the week before, uh, teaching a, a class there to the pastors in the Dominican Republic. And I would call Sandy every night to talk to her. And because I, didn't, I couldn't get to her on the regular phone lines, we, we FaceTimed each other so we could see each other on our phone. And whenever Sandy's face popped onto the phone, I couldn't resist just a big smile. Just a big smile. Well, hi, hun. How you doing? And in the same way, I just think when we see Jesus, it's just going to be the most beautiful thing. We're just going to get this big smile on our face. It's just going to be, this is, the, this is the greatest day of my life right here. It's kind of like this. I've shared this with you all before, but I think about it every time I think about meeting Jesus and Him saying, "Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord." Many years ago, in fact, it was so long ago, uh, my daughter's wedding, my oldest daughter's wedding, that I actually went to one of her her flower girls. You know, the little girls that come with the flowers in her wedding. actually went to her wedding yesterday. So, uh, so yeah, time marches on. But back when my daughter was getting, getting married, it was a beautiful, beautiful service. We, it was an evening service. We had violin music and candles and beautiful singing and great preaching from my daughter's dad. And... Uh, Laughter. Uh, and uh, it was just a beautiful, beautiful ceremony. And then the, the time afterwards, we had great food and just, just a big party celebrating my daughter's marriage. And, and it was just, a, on so many levels, just a wonderful, wonderful day. And to get the opportunity to actually perform uh, both my daughter's uh, wedding ceremonies is just something I'll never forget. But here's something else I'll never forget. My dad and I, growing up, probably didn't speak a hundred words between us uh, until I left home when I was about 18 years old. And when I found the Lord when I was about 19 years old, I, in essence, left the Catholic Church, which my mom and dad were a part of. And I never really knew quite how my dad felt about that. In fact, I don't know how my dad felt about me. I don't think he had ever told me he loved me. I don't think he had ever made any, um, any sort of overture uh, that he cared about me, that sort of thing. I mean, we were, I was a kid and he was an adult and that's the way that was. But at my daughter's wedding, I saw my dad from across the dance floor making his way over to me and I thought, this is really unusual. And our eyes met about halfway as he's coming across, halfway across, and I could tell he was zeroing in on me. And he came up to me and he put his hand around the back of my neck. I can remember this like it was yesterday. He put his hand around the back of my neck and he drew me close to himself. And I remember our cheeks touching together. And he whispered in my ear, Greg, I'm so proud of you. Guys, I'll never forget it. Until the day I die, I'll never forget it. Greg, I'm so proud of you. Guys, I think that's going to be the greatest reward in heaven. I mean, I don't know what these other rewards are. I don't know what the crowns are. I don't know what the treasures are. I don't know what those things are. But when Jesus says, maybe putting his hand around the back of our neck, drawing us close, his cheek touching our cheek and saying, well done, Greg. Enter into the joy of your father. Guys, there's not going to be anything better than that. So this makes our suffering in this life so much better because we are going to a place of restoration. We're going to a place of reward. We're going to a place of relief. It says in the Bible that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will no longer be any death and no longer any mourning and no longer any crying and no more pain. These things have passed away. When he talks about these things, these tears, it refers to grief and frustration and pain and disappointment and loss and stress and uh, tragedy and disaster and regret, mourning, depression, lament, brokenness, abandonment. All those things we suffer with, these will pass away. It'll be a place of relief. Restoration rewards relief. And then finally, a place of rejoicing. Enter in to the joy of your Father. In fact, the Bible tells us that there will be fullness of joy. That that will be a place of full joy. It'll be more rejoicing or more fun, if you will, than eating a great meal, than any poker game. I know some of you do play poker than hunting or fishing, then gardening, then mountain climbing, even attending the Super Bowl. There will be more joy in heaven. I know that's hard for us to imagine. Because to us, it seems like just one big, long church service. Well, it's not going to be like that at all. Because God will have many other things. The Bible talks about us walking and going in and out and doing many other things. But we'll enjoy all the while the presence of the Lord. We'll enjoy the nearness of the Lord. And then there will be those times when this joy will crescendo with us all around the throne, worshiping him with every tribe and every nation of the earth. That's what God has in store for us. So, number one, suffering is minimized by realizing that it's only temporary. It's only temporary in this life, and it's certainly temporary in the next life. Secondly, suffering is minimized by remembering that the Spirit helps in our suffering. Read with me here, Romans 8, 26 and 27. Paul, again, speaking to the Romans. In the same way, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Spirit helps us. In the New Testament, the Spirit's referred to as our helper, as our advocate, as our counselor. He is one that walks with us as if Jesus was tangibly walking with us. Although the Bible does say that Jesus intercedes for us as well. But here it's talking about the Holy Spirit being that friend that walks with us. And it says here that the Holy Spirit, a little bit earlier, it says that the Holy Spirit groans looking for the redemption of man. Which speaks to this, that he is walking with us in the sense that as we groan in this life, so he groans. That he's not in a faraway place, but he is walking with us, the Spirit of God. And he is our helper, our advocate, our counselor, our friend. It says that the Spirit intercedes for us because we don't know how to pray. And in many times when we're suffering, um, we don't pray. And when we do pray, we don't know what to pray. But the Spirit knows what to pray. In fact, the Spirit, like Jesus, is always interceding for us. Now, some have taken these verses here to mean that this, is, this may be praying in tongues or, or groaning, but I don't see it that way. I see it as the Spirit groaning even when we don't know about it. Even when we're unaware that the Spirit is interceding for us even when we're unable to pray or we don't know what to pray, that the Spirit is interceding for us, that the Spirit is walking with us, the Spirit is, a, is, is accomplishing His duty, if you will, even when we're totally unaware. And so when we're suffering, know this, that God is with us, that He is with us in the middle of the suffering, that He is not far away on some glorious hilltop, that He is right there in the ditch with us, suffering with us interceding for us and then last of all i think suffering can be minimized in our lives for this reason we realize that suffering is only temporary we realize that the spirit helps in our suffering but lastly we know that god will bring about good from our suffering look at romans 828 And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. This has to be one of the believer's favorite Bible verses in all the New Testament, that God causes all things. That means the suffering that we go through. That God causes those things to work together for good for those that love him, those that are called according to his purpose. Even the bad things that happens in our life, God somehow in his mysterious sovereignty is able to work those things for good in our lives. I mentioned Joseph a little bit earlier. Joseph lives out this New Testament verse. You'll remember Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers. If that wasn't bad enough, as a slave, he's thrown into jail. Then he's in jail. Now, most of us would find it hard to rejoice in this situation, but not Joseph. Joseph, it says, uh, rose to the top once again. He went from Potiphar's house to jail, and then from uh, jailed to the king's palace and became the number two ruler in Egypt. And it was because of the things that Joseph went through that the line of the Savior was preserved. That Jacob and his family ultimately were preserved because they had to go to uh, Egypt to get food. And it was because of Joseph's dreams and the things God revealed to Joseph that he knew. that the the famine was coming, that they they would need to save food, and so there was food in all the land for all the people. And this is where Joseph says to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God has intended for good. It's the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. What you meant for evil, God meant for good that was Joseph. It reminds me of one of our pastors here at the church, Pastor Joe, (coughs) and his wife Ashley and their young daughter Timber. At one point after Timber's birth, it was realized that she had hip dysplasia, and uh They tried exercises and doing different things to try to avoid having any sort of cast or something of that sort. And so when those things didn't work, they tried this this temporary cast that could be removed for baths and changing diapers and, and those sort of things. But Timber absolutely hated it. She absolutely hated it and struggled with it. Every time she got out of it, she rejoiced. And then when she got put back into it, she just absolutely hated it, kicking and screaming and crying. And so after a while, they took her back in to see if she had gotten any better. And the doctor said, you know what? It's not not back to the way it should be. We're going to have to put her in a permanent cast. And so Joe and Ashley, they're just praying. They're just like, God, heal our daughter. This is a terrible thing. This is, she is suffering beyond what she really needs to do. And for whatever reason, the Lord didn't hear that prayer and Timber had to be put into this, not a temporary cast, but a, in a sense, a permanent cast for at least this amount of time. And so she struggled through that for, for a very long time. Before Joe and Ashley made the decision, they asked the doctor, they asked the doctor this. This was such a horrible experience for our daughter. What would happen if we didn't put her in the cast? And the doctor said this. Well, you know, she would get along well until she was about 30 or so. And then she would have to have an operation on her hip to restore the the flexibility and the movement in her hip. And so Joe and Ash think through this and they think, you know, this temporary suffering now cannot be compared to that suffering that she would have when she was 30 years old. And so they decide we're putting her back in the cast. We're putting her in the the permanent cast. Guys, there's no way you could have explained to that little girl the importance of getting back in that cast. There's no way she could have seen Uh, 30-some years into the future and made the decision on her own that, hey, this is actually better for me that I suffer now because it's going to be better for me later on. There's no way she could have made that decision. But her father and her mother knew that it was best for her. And in the same way, God uses these things together for our good. That he's able to take that suffering and we may not understand why. Why this is happening? What's happened to my dream? And yet God says, just wait. Just wait. I'm able to use this. I'm able to use this. Suffer well. Suffer well. There's good coming out of this. Many years ago, Sandy and I were in Springfield, Missouri. Missouri. And a lot of times when we travel, Sandy will read to me. And we'll get a book. Nowadays, we just use Audible or something like that. But back in the Stone Age, um, (laughs) she would read those paper things, you know, the leaves, and She would read and I would listen. And she was reading on the way to Bass Pro in Springfield, Missouri. I don't know where we were coming from, but our destination was Bass Pro. And as we're pulling in, she gets to this part in the story that we both just began to weep. Because it just speaks of God's redeeming love and his ability to make all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. And Sandy would get all choked up, and she would get choked up and be like, what? 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 What's happened? What's next? She would read a little bit more, and she'd get choked up, and there we are out in front of Bass Pro, both of us, just tears coming down our face, listening to to, uh, this book of God's faithfulness. I remember it took us just a little bit of time to get our composure before we could go into the store. I just want to read a little bit of that story to you this morning. This is actually actually a condensation of the whole story, which is a book, um, but not a book this morning in case you're worried. In 1921, a missionary couple named David and Sneva Flood went with their two-year-old son David from Sweden to the heart of Africa to what was then called the Belgian Congo. They met up with another young Scandinavian couple, the Eriksons, and four and the four of them sought God for direction. In those days, with much tenderness and devotion and sacrifice, they felt led of the Lord to go out from the main mission station and take the gospel to a remote area of the jungle. This was a huge step of faith. At the remote and distant village of Nadara, they were rebuffed by the village chief who would not allow them to enter the village for fear of offending the local gods. The two couples and the flood's young boy opted to go halfway up the nearby mountain and build their own settlement out of mud huts. They prayed for a spiritual breakthrough, but there was none. Their only contact with the villagers was a young boy who was allowed to sell them chickens and eggs twice a week. Sneva flood, a tiny woman missionary only four feet, eight inches tall, decided that if this was the only African she could talk to, she would try to lead the boy to the Lord. Meanwhile, malaria continued to strike one member of the little band after another. In time, the Erickson's decided they had had enough suffering and left to return to the central mission base. David and Sneva Flood, however, remained near Nadara to go it alone. Several months passed. Sneva found herself pregnant in the middle of the primitive wilderness. When the time came for her to give birth, now in 1923, the village chief softened enough to allow a midwife to help. The little girl was born, whose name was Aggie. The, the delivery, however, did not go well. Sneva was exhausted, was already weak from bouts of malaria. The birth process was a heavy blow to her stamina. After 17 desperate days of prayer and struggle, Sneva died. With his heart full of disappointment and bitterness, David Flood dug a crude grave, buried his 27-year-old wife, and took his children back down the mountain to the central mission station. Giving his newborn daughter to the Ericsons, he said, I am going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife, and I can't take care of this baby by myself. God has ruined my life. With two-year-old David Jr., he headed for the coast, rejecting not only his call, but God himself. Within eight months both the Ericsons were stricken with mysterious illness. Some believe it was the poisoning by the local chief. Both died within days of each other. And Steva was once again left an orphan. The nine-month-old baby, Aggie, was given to American missionaries named the Berg's and eventually brought back to the United States. Aggie grew up was married to a wonderful husband and had many children of her own. One day, a Swedish religious magazine appeared in Aggie's mailbox. She had no idea who sent it, and of course she couldn't read the words. But as she turned the pages, all of a sudden, a photo stopped her colt. There, in a primitive setting, in the heart of Africa, was a grave with a white cross and the words written on it Sneva flood. Aggie jumped in her car and drove straight to the college. Drove straight to the straight to a college faculty member, who she knew could translate the article. What does it say? She asked. The instructor translated the story. It tells about missionaries who went to Nadara in the heart of the Belgian Congo in nineteen twenty-one the birth of a baby white girl, the death of a young missionary mother, the one little African boy who was led to Christ, and how after all the whites had left, the little boy grew up and persuaded the chief to let him build a school in the village. The article went on to say that the boy grew up and gradually won all of his students to Christ. The children, uh, or, or excuse me, the chief had become a Christian as well. Today, this is 1963, there were 600 Christian believers in that one village. Because of the willingness of David and Sneva Flood to answer God's call to Africa, because they endured so much but were still faithful, a faithful witness to lead one little boy to trust Jesus, God had saved 600 people. At the time Sneva Flood died, it appeared the human reason that God had led the young couple to Africa only to desert them in the time of their deepest need. It would be 40 years before God's amazing grace and his real plan for the village of Nadara would be revealed. For Aggie's 25th wedding anniversary, she and her husband were presented the gift of a vacation to Sweden. There, Aggie met her biological father, an old man now, David Flood had remarried, fathered four more children, and generally dissipated his life with alcohol. He had recently suffered a stroke still bitter. He had one rule in his family, never, never mention the name of God because God took everything from me. After an emotional reunion with their half-brothers and sister, Aggie brought up the subject of seeing her father. The others hesitated. You can talk to him, they replied, even though he's very ill now. But you need to know that whenever he hears the name of God, he flies into a rage. Aggie could not be deterred. She walked into the filthy apartment, liquor bottles everywhere, and approached the 73-year-old man lying in a rumpled bed. Papa, she said tentatively, He turned and began to cry. Aggie, he said. I never meant to give you away. It's all right, Papa. She gathered him up in his arms. God took care of me. As soon as these words went forth from her mouth, the man instantly stiffened and the tears stopped. God forgot all of us. Our lives are like this because of him. David turned his face back towards the wall. Aggie stroked his face and then continued undaunted. Papa, I got a story to tell you. You didn't go to Africa in vain. Mama didn't die in vain. The little boy you want to the Lord grew up to win his whole village to Jesus Christ. The one seed you planted kept growing and growing. And today there are 600 African believers serving the Lord because you and Mama were faithful to the call of God on your life. Papa, Jesus loves you, He's never hated you. The old man turned back to look into his daughter's eyes, his body relaxed. He began to talk, and at the end of the afternoon, he had come back to the God that he resented for so many long decades. Yeah. Over the next few days, father and daughter enjoyed warm moments together. Aggie and her husband sued him to return to America, and with a few, within a few weeks, David Flood passed away. Many years later, Aggie and her husband were attending an evangelism conference in London, England, where a report was given from the nation of Zaire, the former Belgian Congo. The superintendent of the church there, representing some 110,000 baptized believers, spoke eloquently of the gospel spread in his nation. Maggie cannot help going up afterwards and asking him, have you ever heard of David and Sneva Flood? I'm their daughter. The man began to weep uncontrollably. Yes, ma'am. It was Sneva Flood who led me to Jesus. I am the boy Who brought food to your parents before you were born? In fact, to this day, your mother's grave and her memory are honored by all of us. He embraced her in a long sobbing hug, then continued, You must come to Africa to see because your mother is the most famous person in our history. In time, that's exactly what Aggie and her husband did. They were welcomed by cheering throngs of villagers. She even met the man who, who, so many years before, when she was less than a month old, had been hired by her father to carry her down the mountain in a soft bark hammock. The most dramatic moment, of course, was when the pastor escorted Aggie to see her mother's grave. Marked with that white cross and the words, Sneva, Flood, she knelt in the soil of Africa, the place of her birth, to pray, and to give thanks for God's undying faithfulness. Guys, why don't we stand to our feet? If you just want to close your eyes and shut yourself in with the Lord this morning, I just want to pray for you before you go. Now I know, as your eyes are closed and you're just sitting with the Lord, I just want to talk to you a little bit before I pray. Now I know there are many people here this morning that are in the midst of suffering. Things aren't going well for you and your family. Things aren't going well for you and your job. Things aren't going well for you in other areas. Maybe someone has recently passed away and You're just in a time of suffering. I just want to remind you this morning that God's got this. He's got this. He hasn't left you alone. He's not in a faraway place. He's still listening. In fact, even in your sorrow, the Spirit continues to intercede on your behalf. Even though you can't pray, it just doesn't seem like you have the words to pray. That is going to bring, pray the the words that are going to bring relief. Although it seems like you don't have those, the Spirit is interceding for you. There is not only going to come a day in the next life when all the sorrows of this life will have no comparison, but also in this life, God is going to be able to redeem all of that suffering for His purpose and for His good. It'll come. Trust Him. Rely on Him. He's there with you. And you might be here this morning and you might be thinking, Greg, I don't don't understand what this is all about. You've never put your trust in Jesus. You've never followed Him. You've never asked forgiveness for your sins. But this morning you want to. This morning, you want to say, Pastor, this is the day. I've heard about Jesus in the past. I've thought a lot about him. But this morning, I want to take myself off the throne of my life and I want to put Jesus on the throne, declaring and giving him his rightful place in my life. And now I am second. I want to pray for both these groups this morning. So as your eyes are closed and your head are Bow. Let's pray together. So Lord, first of all, we're praying for those that are suffering in our midst. We would pray deliverance for them, Lord, out of their suffering. Maybe their own poor decisions. We pray deliverance in Jesus' name. But Lord, if you're using this for their good, Lord, remind them of that. Remind them of that and even give them a picture of a better future. The thing that you have already planned for them. Lord, let it bring hope and let it bring satisfaction. Let it, be, let it bring peace right where they're at in their own suffering, Lord. We're praying it so. And Lord, for those in our midst this morning that are looking for the forgiveness of sins, they're looking for old things passing away and behold, all things becoming new. Lord, we're praying that you meet them right where they're at, right where they're at with that open heart, just praying, me, Lord, me, Lord. Help me, that's that's my prayer. Help me this morning. Lord, forgive my sins. Take me to live with you forever. Lord, we say thank you for answering that prayer today. We say thank you for meeting us in this place. And we say thank you for sending us out of here to be a blessing to those around us. And we pray it all this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is how we're gonna close this morning. there are going to be uh, prayer teams that are come up. If you would like prayer for any reason, I'm thinking especially if you're in the midst of suffering this morning, come up and receive prayer from one of these prayer teams up here. If you're here today and you're making a decision for the Lord for the very first time, I'm going to be sitting down here on this front pew. I would love to hear about your decision. And I would love to pray with you just to solidify that new decision in your life. So God bless you. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next weekend.